Take your Bibles now and open them up to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. As we get into the Gospel of Luke, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is a doctor. Luke's a servant, really. In those days, doctors didn't have the notoriety they do now. If you were a physician, a doctor, you were usually owned by somebody. They, you were their personal servant. You served their family and their other servants, and you kind of did what they wanted you to do. Luke is a servant of a guy named Theophilus. That's who he wrote this book to. Theophilus means lover of God. He wrote this book and one other book, the book of Acts, both to Theophilus. Because Luke, you see, was a doctor. He would inspect, and he would weigh evidences, and he would ask questions, and he would deduce conclusions, and then write prescriptions like a doctor would do. And Luke, when he weighed the evidence and did the research about Jesus the Christ, he sat back and said, I better write a prescription for all of the lovers of God, for all of the Theophiluses, for all of the people that want to know God and walk with him. Now, Mark and Matthew and John also did the same. Luke, though, emphasizes different stories that are not all included in all the Gospels. And Luke primarily, listen to me, primarily emphasizes the fact that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man, that he was indeed a man. He did have weaknesses, and he had to overcome obstacles just like you and I do. Unlike you and I, though, we've not done perfect. We've not been flawless. Jesus had and has and is perfect and flawless, and so we learn from him in his humanity. John, of course, you all know the emphasis is Jesus' divinity, that he is 100% God. So as we study the different writers, I want you to understand as we study as students the stories that are inserted for us to get to know Jesus better, therefore we can live our lives better as well. We remember last week that there was the story of the leper, the man who nobody could help. Humanity could not help him. There was no cure for leprosy. There was no counselor. There was no camp. There was no place for him to go, and he went to Jesus. And Luke, the doctor, said, I'm going to put that story in. That's really good stuff. Because Jesus reaches to the uttermost, that is kings and queens, uh, but he also is not afraid to go to the guttermost, that is the dirtiest, the leprostest, the ones who have no hope, no help, who nobody wants to engage, nobody wants to embrace. Jesus does all of that, and Luke says, I want you guys to get it. I want you to understand. So we studied the leprous man, that story, last week. This week, we're going to story, story the study, sure. We're going to study the story of the paralytic man, very similar. A man who's paralyzed, can't move physically. It's what sin does to us. Leprosy would be a perfect picture of sin. You know that, right? Leprosy. You can't fix it. You can't heal it. Humanity and society can't touch it. Sin. God can. God says, I, I got news for you, and it's good for your sin. But if that sin goes unforgiven, if that sin goes undealt with, it will ultimately lead to some sort of paralysis. A leprous condition leads to a paralysis, a paralyzed condition. So now we have this other fellow who's paralyzed, and what's Jesus going to do? How does society and the church respond to him? What do the Pharisees do? I'm going to read and then pray and then preach. So join me in verse 17 now as Luke gives us this story to study, to apply to our own lives. It says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. That's Jesus. He's having a Bible study. It, this is happening in a home. It's not in a synagogue. It's at a home. This is a life group. And anytime you invite Jesus to your life group, you know what's going to happen to your life group? It's going to grow. Okay? People are going to show up hurting. There may even be some rebel rousers that arrive from time to time. 
Jesus shows up at this house and begins to teach. And all kinds of things happen because of that. I want you to grasp this concept. Jesus is teaching, read the verse with me, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, stroking their beards, furrowing their brows, loading their guns, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. These guys are the, 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 the gospel police, okay, the sin sniffers. Uh, they're in charge of making sure everything's done upright and accurate. When a rabbi would show up and begin teaching, they would show up and just listen, take the temperature, grade it, accept or reject it. That's their job, really. It's not a bad job. depends on what your motive is. These guys show up to listen to Jesus' teaching. Sounds pretty fun. Well, listen, it says, and also, still in verse 17, that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This is a good Bible study. You don't want to miss this one. You ever talk to your friends after skipping church? Maybe you go do a thing or two, go catch some waves, or go hit the back nine, or watch the big game, and you ask your friends, how was church? Oh, you weren't there? Oh, my. It was one of the most impactful, life-changing services ever to happen. What? What? And you missed it? Anyways. This is, the, this is that. You don't want to miss this one. What, what's happening here? You don't want to miss this one. Keep reading with me. Well, check it out. Verse 18. Then, behold, this is all happening. Crowds and Pharisees and power. Well, then, behold, men. They brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, Oh, these guys got creative. They went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. This is crazier than it even sounds. Almost violent in nature. Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees are sin-sniffing. Power's happening. And all of a sudden, the roof begins to peel back. And tiles begin to fall. And dirt begins to fly. Jesus, if you would, as a pastor, preacher, teacher, might say, what in the world's going on? Get those kids off the roof, you know. Whatever, what's going on here? Getting, getting attacked. Instead, Jesus watches. What is going on here? And the Pharisees are watching too. What is going on here? They're mad. And, and this guy's lowered down. This is radical. Jesus sees all this, and he is pleased. At the interruption, at the faith, at the, dare I say, creativity, the uniqueness of this guy's story and his friend's his absolute need. Jesus is actually impacted deeply. Look at verse 20. It says it for us. When he saw, that's Jesus, their faith, that's the four guys, he said to him, that's the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. This is such a great triage verse right here. Jesus, the four, and the dude. This one little verse. All of them are in play. The faith of the four, the need of the man, the power of Jesus. It's beautiful. Jesus saw these four. Doesn't even say he's really attracted to the paralyzed guy yet. He sees these four. He's like, really? You're, you're that confident that you can lower him through this roof onto the floor and I'm going to do something about it? Because if I don't, you got to hoist him back up. <laughs> I don't think they had that intention. You know, what goes down is easier than what. It, these guys are all in. They might have even let go of the ropes. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Brought you a friend, Jesus, you know. It's yours now. <laughs> Jesus is just so sweet. He's so pleased. He sees their faith. Whoa. Wow. Wow, you four. You guys are cool. And then he looks at the man, and he speaks beyond his external 
into his eternal and internal needs. We'll talk about that when we get there. Listen to what happens with these guys, though. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to reason, saying, hey, 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 who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, this is a decent question, okay? As long as the answer provided is accepted. It's a great question. Hey, only God can do that. And Jesus would smile and say, you're right. And make sure you conclude accurately because you can have the same question, get the evidence, and reject the conclusion. These guys, they're reasoning in their hearts. But when Jesus, verse 22, perceived their thoughts, kind of scary, but don't you know Jesus is perceiving our thoughts still? <sighs> Even right now, this very moment, perceiving, reading your mind. You ever been to church before and you think to yourself, did the pastor read my mail this week? <laughs> How did he know? How does this happen? God perceives your thought. He knows. It's crazy. You who are parents, you know this about your kids. You know everything they're doing. They think they're getting away with stuff. <clears throat> You're their parents. So too, God even more so. He's your parent. He loves you. Well, Jesus reads their minds. Verse 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why do you reason in your hearts? And he asks them another question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you. It's actually kind of easy to say. It's very difficult to do. Easy for anybody to say, your sins are forgiven you, but there's no power, no authority, unless you're Jesus the Christ. Only God has the power to absolve and forgive sins, because only God has gone in the place of sinners and died in your place and suffered in mine as well. And Jesus asked this question, which is easier, which is harder to do, to forgive, to, for, to forgive, or to say, rise up and walk. Verse 24, this is your homework assignment for yourself this week. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. That's the point. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, take up your bed, and go to your house. Jesus says, I'm going to demonstrate something. Not my healing power for this paralyzed man. That's not my point. That's not really what I'm here about. I'm going to do that. It's going to be awesome. But that you know that the Son of God, the Son of Man, that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sin. That's the issue. That's the three-letter word that no one wants to talk about in government, in society, in counseling sessions. Sin. And Jesus says, hey, I'll heal you. I'll set you free. But the real big deal is sin. The fruit of sin. Oh, lots of it. It's the root that is sin that Jesus goes to. We oftentimes want to deal with the fruit. Lord, just heal this. Just wave your wand. Just make that go away. Fix this and address that and correct this. On the outside, Jesus says, Z -Z -Z -Z. I'm going to go deeper. You're forgiven. Then, in order to prove that he can do that, he told this fella, get up. This fella could have looked at Jesus and said, appreciate your thoughts, but I'm paralyzed. I can't move. <laughs> I'm not even dressed properly. I don't know who dressed me in this. My whole life's a mess. He could have resisted the clear word of God. Instead, by God's word, by God's commandment came the enablement. And he's, let's just read. Immediately, verse 25, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, took it with him to go burn it. And departed to his house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange or marvelous or incredible things today. That's a fun Bible study, not to skip. 
Let's pray and ask God to bless us now and minister to our hearts. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that we would be impressed with you, attracted to you, and empowered by you. In Jesus' name, yet again, another weekly installment as the family gathers together and studies the gospel of Luke, that Jesus, you would take precedence, you would be relevant, and you would be revered, that, Lord, you would draw us to yourself deeper, and you would expose those areas, Lord, that have paralyzed us or left us leprous, where you have spoken over that already and say, be cleansed, get up, be healed, and that you, Lord, would address and have freedom to address the root of the issues today not just the fruit. Lord, we pray for an eradication of the things that hold us back today. In Jesus' name, we just give you permission and we ask for your power to cleanse and to heal, to deal deep within. May every man and every woman here, Lord, leave as this man left that Bible study different, walking different, rejoicing and worshiping different. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This is not something he did for himself or even that those guys mustered of themselves. This was a miracle. It's not something that we can do. And so we trust you to do it for us. Bless this time now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As we link this together, I need you to notice in verse 17, it says that as he was teaching, all this stuff happened. Crowds gathered. Healings happened. Haters and critics showed up. Faith, hope, and love was demonstrated all in the midst of a Bible study, okay? But back it up just a little bit more, if you would let me, to the story previous where he healed the leper. And when he healed the leper, no one could heal. And it was impossible, yet Jesus reached out and touched him. Didn't just speak a word over him, got involved, healed him. Then after that happened, the crowds grew, the responsibilities mounted, the pressures swelled. The Bible says, so Jesus retreated into the wilderness to pray. Then what happened? Well, the next story, he comes out of the wilderness and preaches and power happens. I just need you to see the linkage here. As pressure, as responsibility, and as crowds, and as all of that grew, Jesus prayed more. Your tendency is because of the pressure and the responsibility and the crowds and the demands is to pray less. I guarantee you it is your tendency. I'm too busy to pray, bro. I'm doing things. Uh, I'm really important. I got all kinds of pressure going on. I got, I'm doing so much that I can't find time to pray. Martin Luther said it this way. I've got so much to do, quote, that I have to get up three hours before the day begins just to pray to make it today. Wait, that's MC Hammer. Martin Luther. Same thing. Martin Luther did say that. I got so much to do that I got to spend three hours in prayer. Why? To get through it well. Are you kidding me? We we pride ourselves in busyness, okay? Pressure, responsibility. One of the highest backhanded slap compliments of our culture today is, I know you're busy. And then fill in the sentence. I get that all the time. Luke, I know you're busy. I just need this. I, you know, could you answer me? Could you meet me here and do that? I know you're busy. And every time somebody says that, it, it even is received as a compliment. Yeah, I am kind of busy, aren't I? You know, kind of busy. I'm kind of busy. Listen, not everyone's going to get this. Maybe only a handful of you will actually do this. But I'm going to keep preaching the same message. That in the areas of your life where there's pressure, responsibility, where there's crowds and demands, where there's areas of great importance, if you don't make the time to pray for those areas... Okay, you will continue to only achieve mediocre results and ultimately find yourself blinded 
ultimately find yourself high-centered, ultimately find yourself burned out, I promise you that will be the case. Unless you take the time to bring your cares to God, to bring your burdens to him, to truly place them on him knowing he cares for you. Not just to think about your stuff all day long. How many of you guys think about all your pressures, responsibilities, and problems all day long, okay? It's not the same as prayer. As a matter of fact, if you think about it all day long and assume that that was some sort of prayer or religious exercise, it would be the same thing as getting into a rocking chair in order to go to Walmart, okay? Trying to go to Walmart, I'm just going to rock my way there, you know, and you could rock real hard. You might even break a sweat, but you ain't going nowhere. It doesn't produce any movement. So too, just worrying about your stuff, thinking, you got to bring it to God in prayer. I'm going to say it again. Not everyone's going to do this. 95% of you will agree with me. 5% will be like, I don't know, man, you're crazy. 95% of you here, Christians, will say, yep, he's right. Maybe 10, maybe 15% of you will actually change moving forward. All right. All right, then, I'm going to take some areas of my life, and I'm going to resist the devil and watch him flee from me, and I'm going to draw near to the Lord and watch him draw near to me. Most Christians are very good at resisting the devil for a season. I'll just, I'll just push back on this area of pressure and, and temptation and battle. It feels very religious to do that. James, who instructed us, said, don't just resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's not the full picture. The full picture is when you say no to whatever the temptation, pressure, responsibility is that is taking you down. Say no to the temptation and then yes to the Lord in prayer and draw near to him. And you seal the deal. You then found your foundation and you bind your own house and protect yourself from what the devil wants to do. If you resist the devil today, he'll flee from you. Woo! The Bible says he'll come back. The Bible actually teaches he'll come back with seven of his buddies. Super mad. And if you don't, lock the door. And inhabit it with prayer. And change the locks. The devil will have his way with you. But if you choose, if you choose not everyone's going to do this. A few people. Here's how, here's how I would advise you. I was praying. No, I wasn't praying. Yeah, I was praying. I was doing the dishes. I was thinking. I was in my rocking chair. I'm going as fast as I can. I was doing stuff. And the Lord spoke to me on Thursday or Friday. I can't remember. And he impacted me. He, just, he said, Luke, you don't pray for your wife enough. You got all kinds of pressure, responsibilities. You homeschool your kids. There's lots of pressure. I'm very aware of the pressure at my house, very aware of the problems. I'm very aware of the the issues we deal with. And the Lord says, why don't you pray about that more? Now, what all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long, I'm grinding, I'm working, I'm doing my best to lead the home. And the Lord just said, well, you need to pray more. You don't need to do more. And when the Lord put that on my pray for your wife more. I got a smile on my face. I was like, that's it, isn't it? That's the ticket. That's what my wife needs. That's what my wife needs. She doesn't need me nagging her, telling her what to do, or telling her what she's doing wrong, or being frustrated. She needs me to pray for her. That sounds fun. That sounds, let me ask you this then. Maybe identify three areas only in your life that are compromised, that are important, that are needing to be protected, devil-resisted, Lord-pursued. Just three. Okay, if you do 30 or so, I'm going to pray for 75 different things. You're just going to go to Starbucks and get coffee and go home and take a nap. That's all you're going to do. You'll just forget. You're like, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> you're gonna you know, listen, just pick three and go crazy. Spend some time battling for those things that are so important to you. They're already important to you. I'm not asking you to make them more important. You've already said this is really important. Prove it with prayer. Jesus leaves that prayer time, shows up, preaches, Power, crowds, haters and critics, healing. All of this is amazing to me. I would just ask a few of you, 
hopefully all of you in Jesus' name. I don't mean to belittle. But just take three, maybe even just one. Today, after the service. No, that's not true. That hasn't happened yet. Today, after the first service, my daughter came up to me. She said, Dad, look what I made in Sunday school. It was a prayer box. And if you pulled the prayer box off, there were four things on, written on paper that she said, she's, she's only six, she doesn't know what she's doing, but, but that she said she's committed to pray for. And they were written out, typed out, and there somehow, and I read it, and it was her grandma, her mom, her dad, and her church. These four things. I said, this is exactly what we, we need prayer boxes for all of us. You know, go, go upstairs and make some more of these, honey. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wouldn't it be rad, though? Just pick three. So, so important things. And again, I, I use the word compromise because I know the enemy hates you and hates me. And those areas that are maybe just a little wonky right now, super important, but you just, I just feel this is a little out of control. I feel like this is just, it's compromised. I feel Satan's really out to get me here. Resist, draw near, cover in prayer. Jesus did that. That's last week's sermon, just jumping off of where he came from. And as we move now into verse 17, read this with me a couple times. I'm going to keep reading until we get everything out of it. It says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And we know as we continue reading, there's also crowds. Jesus is preaching. People are showing up. The Pharisees are there making sure it's all legit. And the power of God is happening. I get emails all week long, as you do too. But every day, seven days a week, I get at least three from different sources that are asking me if I'm curious on how to grow my church. Want to grow your church? Want to attract more members? Want to have greater attendance? I get these emails. I'm not sure how I signed up for these church things, you know, and resources. But pastor, grow your church in the summer. Here's how. And I click on them occasionally just to read what they're trying to sell. How to grow your church. And this is what you need. And you need this small group material. You need this gimmick and this theme and this thing. Listen, gimmicks, themes, and things do not sustain the growth of a church. Okay, there's only one thing that will attract a crowd, and listen, keep a crowd, and it is God's word taught in two ways. One, relevance. It's a weak statement, but I'm going to say it anyways. Relevance. It's got to make sense. God's word's got to go into your mind, reach your heart, and change your life. Well, I can, that makes sense right there. That's good stuff. Reading out of the menu, what's in the kitchen, what God's provided for you. It's got to be, re- God is so relevant to your life, you don't even, you don't even understand He's given us this book to understand it. And if you go to a church or you've been impacted by God's word and it's been relevant, praise God, but not just relevant, okay? There's lots of relevant churches out there. Let's be relevant. Let's be re- Listen, more importantly than relevance is reverence. God's word is higher than my opinion. God's word is higher than my will. God's word is higher than my intellect. Well, I got some, I got some good questions about God's word. Listen, you're wrong. His word is right. And I would say this. I'll be the first to admit, I don't know it all. I've been wrong about it and, and still am. It, is, it rules my life. And when you choose to say, yeah, I don't know it all. I've got questions about it. Some of it rubs me the wrong way for sure. But guess what? I'm the wrong one. I'm the student. I'm created. I'm mortal. I'm small. I'm sinful. I'm dumb compared to this word. And when you say that and you in humility say, yeah, yeah, bring it. Who am I to go to the Lord of heaven and earth and say, I've been thinking about some stuff you said. Now just go with me. I've been thinking about it. I got a couple ideas. (laughs) 
And God would just stop and say, well, how have your ideas, you know, worked out in the past? Well, not all good. Not all good, but I got some real good ones nowadays. Listen, I did a wedding yesterday at Stonecrest Cellars, a couple was down from Washington and just getting married. And it was actually really spirit-filled. The, the Lord showed up in grace and kindness. We were all crying. There was only, only two people in attendance, two witnesses, and me and the couple. And after we were done, the couple was taking some photos and the man who was in attendance, the, the witness, he came over to me and said, tell me about your church. And so I told him about the church. He said, tell me why your church is growing. I said, well, I said, for, I said, for one, I said a lot of reasons. God, God does it his way, but, and he's allowed to. But if I was to assume why our church is growing, the first thing I would say is God asked us to move here, my wife and I, in 2010, and we did. He, it was vivid, it was clear. To say no would have been disobedience. So we stepped out on the water, and when you do what God says to do, more often than not, he has a reason for it. And so the church has grown in, in that way. I said, but more importantly than that, because he owes us nothing, is that we try and esteem God's word above our own opinions. We let God's word rule over our hearts and minds. We let God's word tell us we're wrong when we're wrong. We, we try and wrap our lives around God's word instead of getting God's word wrapped around our lives. And I said, I think in heaven, God looks around and says, whoa, 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 I like that. Send the sheep there. Get them fed there. Send the sheep to the watering hole, to the grass, to the pastures where there's going to be my word served up. Lots of ways you can attract a crowd and grow a church. But if you're here today and you've been impacted by God's word and it's both relevant and reverent to you, you're good. Trust me, you're good no matter where you go, where God takes you. You have been linked into the family of heaven through his word, not a gimmick or a theme or even a personality. Matter of fact, years ago, I was sitting listening to my senior pastor, Mark Anderson, teach. It was a Wednesday night. I was very tired. I was on staff, worked all day, and I was tired. I was sitting in the front row, and I was kind of nodding off, and I told myself, you know what? He's preaching the word of God, and it is powerful, and it's right. Even if I'm exhausted or if I've got my own opinions or I have a different style preference, I'm going to sit up, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to apply that to my life. So too you, no matter where you go, no matter who's teaching, no matter what kind of service or what kind of music is being served up, that doesn't, none of that matters. You show up and you say, are they going to use the Bible? I remember one time I went to this church in Hillsboro. I was there visiting my sister and found this church, and I walked in the door. I remember the guy, what he looked like. He looked real cool. He had a big old watch on and some cool hair and, and all the rest, and he had four services on a Sunday. I remember this day, and I walked up to him, and I was so fired up. Shook his hand. I said, dude, are you going to preach the word today? That was what I asked him. Are you going to kill this? I remember it because he didn't. I don't even know what he said. I was so disappointed. Other things rather than the relevancy and the reverency of God's word. And I would just, I just, I see this. Verse 17, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. And all this, the power, the Pharisees, the crowds, all show up to be blessed. Well, not only will there be crowds, okay, and people when the word of God is taught in this way, there will be critics, Okay? There'll be people that show up, even in our church here. Let's not do this, okay? I'm just going just gonna to put it out there. There will be people that their modus operandi, their MO, mode of operation, for whatever reason, is to be a sin sniffer and a fault finder. Wherever they go, re repent of that if that's you today. To be the uh, self-appointed sin sniffer of Lincoln County. The self-appointed Pharisee of Pharisees. Oh, let me just go ahead and consider what you're... Listen. 
Every ministry, by the way, and ours too, mine too, yours too, your home. Every ministry has some faults in it, okay? <laughs> man, man, it's by grace that we're saved. It is, we're all messed up. But that's the Lord's problem. I would encourage you with other ministries, other churches, other pastors, devotional books, worship times, different sets on stage, most, most importantly for you when you get in the book in the morning, to be first to search for fruit before you look for fault. Look for fruit. Even in a tree with many leaves and lots of branches and no obvious fruit, there's probably some fruit in there. Just, I bet there's something in here. I bet there's something good in this Bible study or in this worship service. And you might have a lot of things that don't appeal to you. These guys showed up. Now listen, just you saw the story. <laughs> Jesus heals a dude. Okay? Crowds are gathering in Galilee. Like, wait a minute, you, your church is growing in Galilee? How are you doing this? We get that all the time. Your church is growing in Lincoln County? How are you doing this? How is this happening? And people are quick to find and look for fault. Imagine these Pharisees. They see this whole thing go down. Eventually, they would be the ones that say, yeah, kill this guy. Really? What did he do? Well, he just attracted a lot of people. And he was really nice to them. It was really weird. And he would forgive them. And he made us look really bad is what he did. That's what he really did. And so we just, we just need to take him out. Wait, time out. <laughs> what, did he, what was he doing? Let's go over this again. He was attracting crowds. People's lives were changing. People were being set free. Lepers healed. Paralyzed guys walking. Blind people seeing, lame. It, it was crazy. So it made us look really bad. So we just want to take them out. And again, I would say, time out from the top. One more time. Just see the craziness here because they're fault finders, sin sniffers. Let me just tell you about the Pharisees. The Pharisees started out good, okay, back in Ezra's day when the temple was rebuilt and the wall was restored by Nehemiah and the preaching of God's word went out. Ezra would read the Bible, and Nehemiah was leading, and he instructed men and women to help others. Do you understand what just got read, and do you understand how to apply this to your life? And there was great celebration. The Pharisees were raised up at that time, and eventually, though, kind of got tweaked and weirded out because they started requesting and requiring more than what the law had given. They had rules for rules, and rules for the rules that they had for the rules. And then they became so heavy that they also were offensive, not just in that way, ways that they couldn't even do themselves, but the Pharisees became hypocritical. They would say, do this that's impossible to do, and they themselves wouldn't be doing it. So, so let me say it again. The Pharisees started out right. As a matter of fact, their main objective was to help people obey the Bible. Okay, if we were to do a vote here today, I would say, hey, anybody want to be on the team to help people obey the Bible? Okay, I would hope that most of you would be like, yeah, I'll be on that team. Okay, Pharisees. That was their main job, because here's the problem. They did it the wrong way. They did it for themselves and without God. Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, I'm going to help you do this. I'm actually going to fulfill the law for you. I'm going to lead you. The, the law is a tutor, an instructor that leads you to Christ, and they were so offended because they wanted to lord it over people. The Pharisees, you're going to hear this. Luke records the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes throughout his text. You've got to understand these guys started right, but they were the religious police of the day. The Pharisees, all they would do is weigh and deduce and conclude. That's why they weren't fair, you see. Okay. You'll never forget that. You're welcome. The Pharisees. There's, it's, it's like the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a similar group that were all about the law, but the Sadducees didn't believe in heaven or hell or angels or demons or the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. It's sad, you see. They're sad, you see. You'll ne 
Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> the Pharisees, the Sadducees. If you become a Bible student, I hope you are. I hope you're doing this. I hope you're reading the book of Acts. You'll see the Pharisees and the Sadducees throughout, and you'll see all kinds of things, and you'll see the priests, and it's really it's fascinating. It's all true. It's all history, and it's all applicable to our lives. Well, this crowd is here, and it is being attracted because of God's word, but it's also bringing out the haters. Notice lastly, and I alluded to this in the opening thoughts, verse 17 again, it says, It happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Okay, Not just the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, but to heal everybody. This was that Bible study you didn't want to miss. This was that time with Jesus where you didn't want to be out doing your own thing. The power of God was there to heal. Now, let me just say it this simple, that when teaching goes out and it's relevant and reverent, this is what you're going to see. Crowds, haters and critics, and lives being changed. Okay, It's, it's the same recipe we have right now. I see it. Maybe you don't see it as, as clear or as obvious. I, I interact with people in this town, and I, I see lives being changed. It blows my mind. And I'll turn around and get slapped by a hater or a critic. It happens. I got a message this, this week alone. I shouldn't share it, so I'm not going to. Anyways, I'll keep that to myself. This is what happens, though, when the Lord is moving. Miracles happen. Now, here's a question I would ask of you. How does God's word impact your life? Is it attracting to you? I hope it is. Does it draw out the critic in you, or do you look into it to find fruit? You can repent today. And is God's word, as it goes out in a context like this or at your own home, does it have not just instruction for your life, but power and change for who you are, the power of God was present to heal. This is, wouldn't this be fun if tomorrow, today, next time you got into the book, it wasn't studious so much or laborious or something that you've just decided to do, but instead you're like, maybe he's going to heal something. Maybe God wants to touch something deep in my mind or my spirit or my body. Maybe God wants to set me free. Every morning you wake up, you need to be set free of something, okay? You do. You handle it all kinds of different ways. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go to the coffee. I'm going to run and get coffee. I'm going to run to coffee. I'm going to, you know, get coffee, then run. Whatever, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I, got, I need help here. And the Lord says, hey, hey, you know the power's at? It's in the book. It's in my presence. Wouldn't that be rad? Is if we sought him in that way. The, the power of God's word is not just to give instruction or even insight, but it's to radically change your life. God's word was doing that. And I would ask you this question, when does healing happen okay, in, in, our, in our day? When does healing happen? The answer, the right answer is, is whenever God wants to. You know what I'm saying? You can be driving down the road and be like, I think you just healed my back. I don't know why you did that, but you just healed my back. Yeah, you know? God will heal spontaneously and crazily however he wants because he's God. He can do that. But I find that when there are concerted and concentrated efforts to seek him, okay, the healing flows more fluid. The healing flows more powerful. When He'll do it however he wants. But when you decide to call your buddies together to pray, to read, to study, when you decide to go to church, when you decide to get in the devotional, when you decide to whatever the case is, I have found, I have experienced, more often than not, that's where the healing happens. When the tears flow, when lives change, 
When I drive hours and hours to a conference and get there exhausted and wake up early and the worship team begins and the first speaker comes out and you're wrecked. Oh, why did I drive all the way to Seattle for this? Because it was worth it. Why did I fly all the way to LA for this? Because it was worth it. Why did I drive all the way from there or here to there? Because it was worth it. Not so often when I'm doing my own thing. Nothing wrong with a little leisure, a little whatever, do your own thing. But I have not found the healing power of God present as often when I'm doing my own thing on the mountain snowboarding. When I'm watching YouTube videos and kicking it on Facebook. (laughs) Not as often. This doesn't happen. Jesus is teaching. Stuff's going down. I just put that out for you. You might say to yourself, well, I don't really want to do anything extra. I don't really even like going to church. I don't really want to get in the book. I don't want to go to a conference. I don't want to join a life group. Then stay lame. <laughs> That's fine. It, cool. Just, why doesn't God heal me? Why doesn't God do anything? You know, what we see here, this lame man is healed. Power is present. The haters are there. It's going to be the, the case. Look at verse 18. Then behold... This is all happening. Men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. These are the kind of friends you want to have. These are the kind of people you want to become. These four dudes. They're not named, not mentioned. It doesn't say how they left this particular meeting. It says how their friend left. They have a guy who can't get to Jesus for various reasons. They had faith that if they got their friend to Jesus, Jesus is going to do something. Let's just, let's, how are we going to get in there? Let's drop this guy on Jesus' lap. Let's start with that. You think he's going to be mad? Don't care. They had faith. They, they had hope. Hope in the healing that they had heard about. Hope in this teaching, this reverence, this relevance. They had faith that Jesus would heal. Hope that it would happen this day. And they had, listen, love for their buddy. Faith, hope, and love. These three remained. Faith and hope are kind of easy. You know, love's the part where the train goes off the track for me often. Real love for other people, for hurting. It all needs to work together. When you see somebody who's on drugs or rebelling or messed up man do you love them still yeah but i'm just so frustrated with them and i just i have you know okay get more love do do you believe that god can actually heal them well look at yourself has he healed you yeah okay he can heal anybody then and and do you have that that hope that this is god's will for him these guys had all that what a risk what a gamble crazy (sighs) their love their faith and their hope in God for their friend was what impacted Jesus. They, they didn't take no for an answer. They were creative in the way they pursued others. And I would just ask you, how, how creative are you right now in your presentation of the gospel for your friends at work or at your school or in your family? There's so many ways to get people to church nowadays, so many ways to get people to Jesus. You can invite them to church. You ever done that before? Hey, come to church. Check it out. Well, I don't know where it's at. I know where it's at. I'll pick you up. You know? Well, I don't know if I'll, you know, I, I just keep forgetting. I won't forget. Honk, honk, you know? <laughs> I didn't forget. You know, I'm right here, you know? And 
They lollygag, and they're not ready for the nine. That's okay. I'll take you out to breakfast. We'll make the 11, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm hungover. I don't want to go to the 11. That's what the six is for. That's what the six is for, you know. We can make that one. And it's crazy. You'll see all your buddies, you know. And so, many, so many reasons, so many ways to get people to church. And you don't have to just get them to church. You can get them to a life group or get them to a Bible study. Or more importantly, listen, just get them into your life. Okay, just love them. Do life with them. Be creative. We got all kinds of people that do that in this church. There's, there's names that come to my mind. I got them. I just, people that I see doing this. They're creative. Texting people, calling people, tricking people. <laughs> hey, let's go get breakfast after church. You know, <laughs> take them here. What are we doing here? You know. How? Faith, hope, and love. There's lots of reasons why they shouldn't have done this. He's on a bed, right? And we have excuses why we don't bring people to Jesus. It's just impractical. And, and maybe you say something in your mind. Well, he's not ready. He's not ready for the Lord. Really? Really? Or he's, he's unwilling to come to the Lord. Or she's unwilling. Okay. What are you going to do about it? Just give up? I mean, this guy, who even knows if this guy wanted to go? It doesn't say. Okay? It doesn't say Jesus was impressed with the paralyzed guy ever. Okay? The paralyzed guy's probably like, oh, sorry, I'm here. You know, I didn't want to be here. You know, you idiots. You know, you tricked me. Said we were going to the movies. You know, and they're lowering him down. And, it doesn't say anything about him. It actually says the opposite. It says Jesus saw the friends. This, my friends, is how the body of Christ works. I'm very concerned about people in this town. There are people that you're concerned about too. Sons, daughters, moms, dads, people. Man, I just wish they would get it. I wish they would get it. And God would say to you, they're going to get it through your faith. And I'm concerned about them. And God says, yes, I'm going I'm I'm to impact them through your faith, through your hope, and through your love. Some, somehow, God has chosen to make this whole thing work symbiotically with each other. There are no lone rangers. There are, is no disconnection here. It's all connection. And when you bring somebody here, or maybe even yourself, you come in a day or two, and you feel a little shady, a little weak, a little wobbly, maybe paralyzed, a little leprous. You ever been to church and just felt, ew. Hope they don't see me. I don't feel very, you know? And you come in, and what do you see? You see some other people with hands raised. You're like, whoa, that's cool. You, you see people celebrating and worshiping a real God in a real way. Oh, wow, look at that. That's a, that's a real tear coming out of his eye. That's, a, that's real devotion. And you came in shady and weak and wobbly, and you see other people in their faith, hope and love, and all of a sudden, somehow, you're impacted. You come here broken and dejected and maybe even sinful and bummed out, and you get blessed. This is how the body works. It's crazy town. You're probably more interested in yourself and your own health and how you're doing, and when you feel bad or wrong or paralyzed or leprous, you just, okay, I gotta wait till I get this cleaned up. Go find some others with faith. Surround yourself with that person that loves God and loves you. Go to them. Go to that Bible study. Ah, man, I've been blowing it all week. Life group's tomorrow. Shoot, I better not go. Wrong. Go. Get blessed. It's, how the, it's, it's a mystery. On Tuesday, I got to share at the baccalaureate here. All the students showed up. We had 34 students in attendance and a couple hundred people here, something like that. And I was supposed to speak at the end, and I did. But before I spoke and shared, I listened and received. Cale Heth got up here, senior graduate, and he spoke and gave a little speech. It was awesome. I sat over there going, whoa, that was, that was, that was legit. I needed that. Tucked it away. Noah Hines got up, and he shared a little speech that he had prepared. I was like, whoa. 
that was good. I tucked it away. Man, that was good. I needed that. I'm a pastor. I'm twice their age, unfortunately. I'm older, you know, and, and, and I needed that. And then Laura McCrum got up, and she spoke and shared. I was like, whoa, that's so dynamic and so good. I'm so glad God used them. And then Rory Van White got up here, our youth pastor, and he shared. I was like, whoa, and I got blessed again. I got blessed four times over before I got up to share. Now, so this is how it works in the body of Christ. In our lameness, and our paralysis, our leprous condition, our mistakes, we get blessed by the body of Christ. And again, you might say, well, I don't want anybody to be involved in my life. Again, stay lame then. It's just, you're not going to prevail. Instead, you'll remain the same. Well, these guys got incredibly creative. They began to peel away the rooftop. This is a a life group, if you would, happening. Jesus is teaching. They're fellowshipping. Don't go to your life group and climb on the roof and uh, t- tear the roof apart, though. Don't, don't do that. That's just because it's in the Bible. That part, just you know, figure out a different way. But anyways, verse 20. Uh, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I don't know what this doesn't say how everyone responded. It does say how the Pharisees, the sin sniffers responded. They were ticked. What? Dude, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, keep going. Follow the thought. Follow the thought. Make the conclusion. This is good. You guys are getting it. Follow. Only God can forgive sins. I just forgave sins. Equals blasphemy. No. Man, guys. And then to prove it, he's like, just so I can prove it to you, that I just forgave his sins, which is hard to prove. I don't even know if his sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Because a man who's had his sins forgiven will walk differently. People will see. How do you know that you're a Christian? I'm a Christian. So look at the way I walk. I'm different daily. I'm cleansed. That you might know that God, the Son of Man, has the power to forgive sins, a life that is changed from the inside out. When Jesus said your sins are forgiven, I wonder what the four amigos up top thought. They had let down their friend, and Jesus says, oh, cool. You're forgiven. And I wonder if they, th- they went like this. <gasps> forgiven? Man, he's paralyzed, bro. <laughs> he don't need forgiveness. Heal him, you know. I wonder if they were let down. Oh, what? Did you talk? But I wonder if the guy laying down, I bet his smile wasn't paralyzed. I bet as a matter of fact, when Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, said, you're forgiven, I bet you he had the biggest smile ever to be received. Church history, not the Bible, church history tells us that this particular paralysis came from foolishness and sin, something he had done, that he had done this to himself. He wasn't a victim. He was a perpetrator. He did something wrong. We don't know if that's true. We do know that sin, all kinds of sin, leads to paralysis and leprosy and problems. Either way, this guy needs healing. Jesus says, you need forgiving. Our greatest need, listen, please, is not external our greatest need is internal and eternal jesus is not as concerned about your marriage your health your finances and your relationships as much as he is concerned about your soul and once he deals with your soul you're forgiven (laughs) are you for real then no matter what happens no matter what doesn't happen i have everything i need i am good to go Did you know that nobody else, and the Pharisees brought this up. Only God can do that, bro. Only God can forgive. Stop, stop, stop. Did you know this is true today? Muhammad, 
Buddha, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, anybody you want, cannot give you the formula or the permission to be forgiven and absolved of your sins. Great advice, goodwill, great thinking, some wisdom, all that is offered through all the religions of the world. No one can say to you, forgiven, absolved. Only Christ can do that because only Christ actually went to hell in your place and paid and suffered for your sins and said, now that I've endured the wrath of God in your place, now you can be forgiven. Not just a wink at sin or a not looking. God says, no, I dealt with it. No one else can do that. And every person in the world, I don't care where they dwell, what color they are, what side of the globe they're on, every person wakes up every day knowing what's in their past. Everybody. And they're hoping nobody else knows it. I don't care how influential or successful you become. Everyone is haunted internally and eternally. They're haunted. That's why we see people of great rapport and great wealth and great success take their lives. They're haunted by something in the past until Jesus Christ comes and says, you are forgiven. His greatest deed was to minister to our greatest need. And it wasn't paralysis. It was the soul. And as he cleansed this soul, as he ministered in this way, he proved it by healing this guy. Only Jesus can forgive. I posted something similar to this on Facebook a couple months ago about the centrality of salvation within Jesus and Jesus alone, how only Jesus can forgive and only Jesus can give you a future and a hope and only Jesus can give you peace for your past. Only Jesus and one of my friends protested and said, I don't know if Jesus is the only one who can do that. I've given myself a pretty good future. I've decided to forget my past. I'm at peace and I have forgiven myself. Well, Jesus isn't the only one to do these things. And I just looked at that comment. I didn't touch it. But the absurdity, the absurdity to think that you can actually forgive yourself, okay? Now, you can let yourself go from the mistakes you've done. You should. But to forgive, to, to absolve yourself, it would be like if I burned Fred Myers to the ground, okay? Me. And I go to court and I say, listen, judge, jury, people of Newport, I have decided at this point to forgive myself. I'm over it. I'm good. So, <laughs> whatever. You're going away, bro. I don't have, but if someone were to rebuild Fred Myers in my name and replace all the losses and all of the casualties and then go to jail for me, then I could, be for, I could be forgiven. If it were, only Jesus Christ can actually say, you've made mistakes? Yeah, bad ones. I'm, I'm, I'm really messed up. I'm leprous, I'm paralyzed, I'm really messed up. Jesus doesn't just say, yeah, you know, we all have bad days, we're just gonna get through it. He says, I'll go to hell for you. I'll absorb that. There's, nobody can get to heaven unless you're born again. I'm gonna do it for you. I'm going to take your mistakes, your haunt, your pressure. I'm going to take that from you and absorb it in order that we can have fellowship together forever. You are forgiven. This man was forgiven. And that we would know, verse 24, your homework assignment, that God, through Jesus Christ, has the power to forgive sins. He said to this man, rise, take up your bed and walk. Because a life changed on the outside proves a life changed on the inside. This guy took up his bed and left. Why did he take his bed? I say he took it to go burn it. 
He needed this. This was his, his, his plan, if you would. This is his lifestyle. He said, not anymore. I don't need this anymore. I'm healed. I'm forgiven. And so to you who've been delivered, take that which you have been doing and burn it. Whatever it is that's led to your leprosy or your paralysis or your mistakes, your haunt, your fear, your shame, don't make any provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Deal with it. And the Bible says he left rejoicing and worshiping, complete adoration. And the people seeing this were astonished. <laughs> Man, church was crazy today. The whole roof exploded. Guys getting up, being paralyzed. Pharisees super mad. I was nuts. Let me say something. Every Sunday, the parking lot packs out. And people drive by on Highway 101, Ferry Slip Road. And they see cars. And they're like, what in the world's going on there? What is happening? And I'm going to tell you something. They're not impressed. They're not impressed how you come to church. As a matter of fact, they have all the reasons. Well, I know why they go there. The coffee's free. It's free coffee. That's how they're doing it. Free coffee. I heard they got 10-ounce cups now. They went from 8-ounce cups to 10-ounce cups. Trying to keep everyone happy. <laughs> they're not impressed. They're not impressed. Oh, the facilities. The facilities are amazing in there. If you haven't seen, it's an amazing warehouse. <laughs> Bathrooms. They got two. You know, they're, they're not impressed. You know what they are impressed? Not the way you come to church, but the way you leave church. The way you leave your time with Jesus, the way you walk, the way you smell. The Bible says that those who are in Christ have the aroma of Christ, that you, you just smell a little different. You've been forgiven. You've been healed. You're going to walk different. That's the key. Going to church feels great. It is great. Great. Leaving church, different, it's the goal. Leaving church, more humble, more filled with wonder, more faith, more hope, more love, bigger eyes for the people that are not yet in the body of Christ, that are not yet healed. A greater desire to find fruit, not just fault. A hidden secrecy in prayer. Dads getting up before their families. Moms covering their kiddos, husbands in prayer. Business owners praying for their employees that they would be blessed in all they do. Neighbors praying for one another. How? Forgiveness, healing, and a new, a new step, a new walk. I go to South Beach Church. Yeah, I can tell. You're different. I go to South Beach Church. Yeah, I got a hoodie. I could tell. No, that's not enough. Okay? I like hoodies just as much as you do. But when you're set free of your past, I'm healed. I'm healed. Is your past perfect? No, it's not. Are you forgiven? I am. Absolutely. I am forgiven. And I walk free. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us in response and repentance, rejoicing and worship as we come to the table and take communion. As we let Jesus set us free and heal us. These two stories linked back to back. The leper and the paralyzed guy. The leper was instructed in his day. Everywhere he would go to yell, unclean, unclean. Until Jesus changed him. You who are clean are not unclean anymore. Don't let the enemy mess with you. 
Let that new step in your life be evidenced and seen and demonstrated in the forgiveness that Jesus alone purchased. Don't think about yourself. Jesus said, get up and walk. That's a clear word. Lots of reasons to argue. Hey, Jesus, I'm not sure if you noticed, but I'm paralyzed. I can't walk. Appreciate the thoughts. No. Jesus' commandments are his enablements. He has provided for you to walk in freedom this day. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray before we take communion together and sing to Jesus. Father, it's in your name, again, that we are so grateful and so thankful for your forgiveness of our sins. And they are many. They are many in this room. Our mistakes, our blunders, our faults. Lord, there is no one here righteous, not one. And yet, Lord, it is your righteousness that compels us, your love that encourages us, your mercy that draws us. And in Jesus' name, Lord, we applaud you and worship you and we apply it to our accounts right now. And if you're here and you have sinned and you feel like a leper and you feel like you're paralyzed and you need to be forgiven that you might be healed and restored, that you need that, only you know, you know the rumbling in your soul right now. You know what you need from your father. Would you raise your hand, slip it up to him right now, and say, Father, heal me. Father, heal me. Heal me inside, eternally and internally. Heal me, Jesus. My hand is up too, Lord. I need healing for the stuff that haunts me, for, Lord, the stuff the enemy uses to accuse me of. I need healing even today, right now, Jesus. Raise your hand and let the Father heal you. Believing in the Son, finding much fruit in his teaching, much fruit in who he is, much fruit in his ministry. That only the Son of Man can heal and say you're forgiven. Jesus, your grace transcends all cultures, all churches, all peoples, all families, all men, all women. Your grace. And we receive it now. We celebrate it at the table of communion. For it was purchased with a broken body and with spilled blood. It was not cheap. It's very expensive. And yet you freely give it to all who would receive it. So we receive, Lord, your gift to us. If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, haven't received his life for you, do that today. Even right now, nod your head in, in agreement with Jesus Christ, forgiving you of your sins, healing you right now. Just nod your head, say, yes, Jesus, me. That's me. <clears throat> Let him into your heart. Walk differently. Sin no more. No to the junk. Burn it. Burn the DVDs today. Burn the stash. Flush it today. Be impressive to the people in our community how you walk differently. Be set free of your paralysis today. Forgive that person today. Lord, may your grace flow and may it change us. May there be reason for crowds at South Beach Church. Reason for crowds, Lord, at our life groups. Reason for friends in our life because we're different in Jesus' name. And I repent and I apologize of my great 
need, Lord, my great sin, my great hypocrisy, just my, and I receive you into my life, Lord. May we all walk differently by the power of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.